You're listening to Decisive Point, a U.S. Army War College Press production focused on national security affairs. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the authors and are not necessarily those of the Department of the Army, the U.S. Army War College, or any other agency of the U.S. government. I have Dr. Conrad C. Crane, Acting Editor-in-Chief of Parameters, with me today to talk about the summer demi issue and the forthcoming full summer issue of Parameters. Thank you for being here, Dr. Crane. Glad to be here. Always glad to have you. So, the demi issue. This is a relatively new product for the Army War College Press. It's released about a month before the full issue of Parameters, and it addresses unfolding current events and topics critical to our readership. It generates interest in the forthcoming full issue, and it tackles the big questions being asked today in the fields of military strategy and defense policy. What does the Summer Demi issue have in store for our audience? We've got a couple very interesting articles. The first is an in-focus special commentary responding to future pandemics, biosecurity implications, and defense considerations by a couple of civilian PhDs, Dan Dulles and James Giordano. And they look at the expanding biothreat landscape, and they look at the experience of COVID-19 and the challenges that put on DOD especially, and arguing for a modernized, improved preparedness and response system. They contend that the COVID-19 experience revealed a bunch of weaknesses uh, including the Department of Defense's inability to sustain the military mission while dealing with intra-governmental expectations to assist with other pieces of the government. And it's really good to challenge how we balance our resources. So it's an interesting look at the future, perhaps, of these future pandemics. The second piece is a piece of a Taiwan forum where we're taking a look at Taiwan in this issue, and it's on Taiwan's food resiliency or not in a conflict with China. The authors there, Gustavo Ferreira and Jamie Critelli, are both reserve officers, and they deal with some military issues in their normal work. But they really talk about the dilemma we face with Taiwan is it's probably got, if it gets cut off, it's got about six months worth of food. So the question is, how do you deal with the possibility that Chinese may blockade or somehow degrade their ability to sustain themselves? And they really look at the potential scenarios and findings that underscore the urgency for U.S. leadership and for military planners to really develop long-term logistical solutions before this crisis happens. So two very insightful articles, little different directions, but really should give our readers something to think about. And then, of course, there's more articles coming in the full issue when it comes out about a month later. Speaking of the full issue, what can we expect? Do you have any idea what we can look forward to? We've got a set of very interesting articles scheduled for the full issue. Start out with Dr. Allison Abe, who's one of the faculty here at the War College. The title of her piece is called Understanding the Adversary, Strategic Empathy, and Perspective Taking in National Security. And she looks at this whole issue of how do you gain insight into the motives and mindsets of adversaries and partners. And she looks at a number of different scenarios. It's interesting that she talks a lot about this idea of strategic empathy, but in her conclusion, she says that the security practitioners don't really need to aim for full empathy, but for what she calls perspective. And perspective taking for her is the most fruitful piece of strategic empathy. And she says that basically that that skill requires shifting in and out of other people's perspectives, not adopting them. So you just got to kind of understand what the other side is doing and shift, you know, this frame shifting aligns with developmental approaches to systems thinking and how one views the system from the perspective of multiple actors. And it's an interesting discussion, again, try to figure out how to look at these situations and come up with our own solutions. It's very detailed. It also looks at how practitioners should use feedback to improve, how to use teams to make the effort better. I like her last recommendation is that empathy researchers 
recommend maintaining humility and recognizing uncertainty. So, I mean, <laughs> even, even with all of this, what we end up with is a situation that, yeah, we may end up being wrong, but we'll do the best we can with it. The next one is uh, another Taiwan piece. Luke Belochi has given us an initial introduction to what will probably be a two-part presentation by us. This will be the first part, which basically talks about Taiwan's strategic importance to the United States and its allies. And he focuses on Taiwan's location is obviously geopolitically important to the U.S. and its allies, but it's even more important regular to China itself. He also talks about the commercial significance of everything that Taiwan does and how it's a beacon of democracy for people of China and other people around the world. The loss of Taiwan's democracy to authoritarian China would undermine our credibility with our allies and obviously have long-term implications in the region. So that's really what he looks at in this first chunk of his work. Part two, which will come in a later issue, will review recent changes to the strategic environment, current responses, including a hard look at our own national security strategy. Next, Nicholas Murray has a piece that's called Geniuses Ride Their Luck, Clausewitz's Card Game Analogies. And the interesting thing about his piece is he talks about the scholars talk about Clausewitz's use of card games and on war and other places, but they use the wrong card games. They use our own modern card games as examples, whereas Clausewitz, obviously he's writing a couple hundred years ago and he's not looking at the same card games that we are. And he looks at the, the different perspective that you get with Clausewitz if you use these older card games. The main games that Clausewitz really references are Pharaoh, Scott, and Ombre. And one of the things is you can cheat a lot more. There's a lot more uncertainty in results. And he says, you know, the degree of cheating in 18th and 19th century gambling and card games undermines any claims that Clausewitz's card game analogies represent any kind of reasonable degree of calculable probability in war. Basically, these were kind of very unpredictable card games because there was so much cheating that went on. And once you've got that, that these are far chancier games, it really changes a lot of the ways that, that people have to look at Clausewitz. Again, if, if you use the right card games that Clausewitz used, then the perspective on Clausewitz changes somewhat. It's an interesting discussion. Again, a thing that really struck me going through it was he talks about how much cheating went on in these games. And for him, it makes it very clear the commanders had to be willing to gamble and take a lot of risks in, in their approach to warfare. So it'd be interesting to see how other people perceive it. And I'm sure there'll be some pushback with some other researchers. But one of the points he makes is, you know, if chance and luck in war is far more extreme than was thought and players struggle to make rational decisions because of the extreme emotion involved, then scholars must revise the way they might use game theory to model behavior. Furthermore, if there is no baseline expectation of honesty, then the role of luck and emotion is enhanced and genius, as Clausewitz describes, it becomes even more critical. So I thought those were really interesting conclusions out of that article. We'll see what kind of comments we get back. John Bonin and Jim Scuderi, a couple of researchers here at the War College, have done a piece on the Institutional Army Six Case Studies and Change in Innovation. And they've gone back and they've looked at some historical case studies of Institutional Army reforms over the last 160 years and done an evaluation of how they operated. And they tried to provide some historical insights to inform current practices to fulfill the Army's articulated 2022 institutional strategy. And they end with a very hard look at Army Futures Command and predicting how that might go. I mean, they look at the Calvary Brio in the Civil War. They look at the peacetime habits and wartime chains in the Army after the Spanish-American War in 1898, looking at the next couple decades, including World War I. That's a very detailed study. They look at General Marshall and the development of Army headquarters for World War II and how that evolves. They look at Secretary McNamara and the development of the Army Combat Developments Command and the evolution of that particular process. They look at General Abrams and his 1973 
reorganization of the Army after Vietnam. You know, they look at the, you know, the role of some of his key assistants like William Dupuy. And then they close with this look at Futures Command and, and try to speculate on some of the lessons from the early cases and how it might reflect on how Futures Command develops. A very interesting study. It says a lot about implications of the Army for today. It's one of the interesting things I thought in their conclusions, they talk about one of the problems with a lot of these changes is that substantive change and adaption have to unlast a specific secretary and chief of staff. The problem is we lose a lot of these innovations because the country goes to war or something happens, different commander changes priorities. Again, the dilemma is how do we keep these changes active? How do we keep the Army from going back to the way it was soon as there's a change in commander or some situation happens to make the Army change its focus. For the last full article, Spencer French has a piece on innovation, flexibility, and adaptation, keys to the success of Patton's information and signal intelligence services in 1944. Patton had this image as this combat commander and talk about these very pugnacious Patton, but he was a very competent and systematic organizer. And the way he adapted Third Army for the operations they ran into in Europe, he had successful integration of informational resources, very consistent operating concept for information and available technology, combined with his organized mobility and flexibility. And, and he really, you know, these are the same elements that modern commanders are also wrestling with. French argues pretty well that they could benefit from viewing Patton's strengths and Third Army's accomplishments and how they organized this really cohesive and flexible system for managing information, not only for managing our information, but denying it to the enemy, and how that aligned operational concepts with technological capabilities. So it's, it's a very interesting piece. We have a new director of strategic research at the Strategic Studies Institute, and he's going to take a little different perspective than George Schatzer did. George would provide some book reviews for some other things. Eric Hartunian, who's the new colonel in charge of the strategic research, is trying to explain research possibilities, and he wants to focus in particularly in his first effort at the Republic of Korea and the situation there. It's the 70th anniversary of our alliance. He looks at the quick region with key points, looks at threats in the peninsula, and you know, he looks at the little bit of the implications of the current war in Ukraine on you know, Indo-Pacific security concerns. You know, his essay is not meant to cover every contingency opportunity that the U.S.-Korea alliance represents. It is intended to set the stage for important research into the known and unknown opportunities that leveraging the U.S. Republic of Korea alliance may present as the joint force continues to march into a very decisive decade. In the meantime, we've also tried to expand some things. We've added a whole number of book reviews. Uh, we've, got a, a, we've had a, quite a backlog of book reviews, <laughs> and we're trying to, to get rid of them. So there's going to be more book reviews in the issue itself, but we're also initiating an online book review section. We'll post book reviews there as well. We also need to highlight there's a new SSI website coming late summer, early fall, we need people to keep an eye out for that. It'll be the same kind of place, but it'll be a new look and have new capabilities and new things for people to see. And we think it really will enhance our ability to get information out to our readers that they really need to get. There's a lot going on at the press. We're busy. We're busy. <laughs> Listeners, look for the Demi issue at press.armywarcollege.edu slash parameters. Dr. Crane, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. If you enjoyed this episode of Decisive Point and would like to hear more, you can find us on any major podcast platform. 